Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Mark chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. How did it get to this? So if you've been with us in this series, we're looking at the book of Mark, the the gospel of Mark, and we've been walking through these first uh, handful of chapters, and you've started to sense a little bit of like, there might be some controversy. Today we get to it. The Pharisees want to kill him. It's almost as if Jesus were to walk in right now at 1030 and say, hey, I want to teach, and and he says some things and does some things, and we all decide, yep, he's got to go. I mean, that's kind of like what's happening in our text today. These are religious leaders, like they're the in crowd, and they're deciding Jesus has got to go. It's like, how did did we get to this point? So two weeks ago, we we were in the first part of chapter 2, and and we saw that the Pharisees were watching Jesus heal a man, and they're like, hang on a minute, he can't say some of the stuff that he's saying, because he's just said to this, this man, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, that's not allowed, you can't do that. And in the story, we see that the faith of the friends, the faith of this man, these things are elevated. Whereas the Pharisees, they're not. Normally they are. Normally they're the ones that everybody looks to like, yeah, we, we want to learn from them. We want to be like them. But Mark is showing us that's not the way Jesus views them. They're not the ones who are elevated. And so now we're getting the tension, the conflict really emerge. And what we're going to see is that Jesus, he wants to go after their religiosity. Now, religiosity, you probably can figure out what that means, but let me give you a quick definition. It's excessiveness about certain faith rules, ideas, or practices. It's excessiveness. It's like, okay, we got to go to the the extreme, the furthest extent, like, and it's about these kinds of things. It's about the rules. It's about doctrine. It's about these ideas. It's about practices. They got to be like this. This is religiosity. And for those of us who have been a part of church for a long time, you, you can probably fill in the holes of like what some of these things might be. But maybe you're not familiar with church, so it's kind of a new thing for you. Let me, let me just offer you this. You probably have seen it. And maybe that's one of the reasons why you're a little unsure about Jesus. Like, yep, I know what that's all about. Let me just suggest to you that Jesus wants to go after the religiosity in all of us. See, maybe we didn't grow up going to church But, like, you could look at our culture today. Football, is that not a religion? Like, we're all going to go home, we're going to watch it for, like, seven hours and, like, get so sucked into, like, football and we know all the stats and it's, like, almost kind of worship it, right? We can apply that to a number of things. Like, this disposition, this religiosity, I think it's in all of us. 
It's the rules. It's got to be like this. We got we to follow the rules. Or these ideas, like these are the most important ideas or, or the practices that got to be a certain way. Like this is part of the way I think we operate. This series is all about discipleship. Like we want to be with Jesus to become like him. And what Jesus wants to do, I think, is confront the religiosity in us. And so that's what we're going to do today. Where might we have some religiosity that we need to confront with Jesus? So I invite you, if you would, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 13 through chapter 3, verse 6. And that's the, la- the few verses we just read a few minutes ago. We're going to look at a lot that happens in here. There's several scenes or episodes. So we're going to walk through them real quickly and try to cover all that's happening. But what you're going to see is this building conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, and he's going to tackle religiosity. So, beginning at verse 13 in chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them, often as he does. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. It's the same call that he gave to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Follow me. Become my disciples. Come with me. Learn from me. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the, not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what we see here is that Jesus, he's walking along, he's teaching people, and he sees Levi. Levi, or Matthew, he's a tax collector. Now, a tax collector, if you're kind of familiar with church, familiar with the Bible, maybe you're not, but these people were like the low end of the spectrum. Like nobody wanted to be with them because they were traitors. They were working with Rome to collect taxes, and these taxes were burdensome. Like, it put people in poverty. Levi was a part of that system. And so you didn't associate with them. Like, they were people you did not hang out with. Jesus calls one of them. And they all go to his house. And they're having dinner. And the Pharisees see this. And they're like, no, 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 no. It can't be like this. This is breaking the rules. You're not supposed to associate with tax collectors, with sinners, with these kinds of people. You see, they were actually building this idea from the Old Testament. And what I want to do is each kind of these moments that we see, I want to look back at the Old Testament. Where does this come from? But then we also want to see the religiosity piece that's emerging. So they're saying, like, you can't hang out with these kinds of people. There's supposed to be some sort of separation. This comes from a number of places, but Deuteronomy 7 is one I want to look at real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 7, here's a couple of verses about this. So God um, is about to take the people into the promised land. Moses is teaching them before they do this. And he's saying, here's how you need to interact with the Canaanites, the people in the land. 
Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones. Cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. For you, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So don't intermarry with them. Don't, don't, don't connect your families like that because they're going to turn you away from following me, from worshiping me. They worship other gods. I don't want you to do that. That's essentially what, what God is saying through Moses. Because you are my people. You are my treasured possession. That's the heart behind Deuteronomy. Like, don't, don't worship other gods and don't intermarry with them. Like, we need to be very careful to put up the guardrails. But then fast forward several centuries. That idea has become embedded in the thinking, and it's been extrapolated. And it's like, we're not to intermarry. We're not to associate with them because they are bad. Like, we can't be with them because we are chosen. We're the treasured possession. We're God's people, and we have nothing to do with them. Is that quite what Deuteronomy was saying? You see, reflect back again. Don't intermarry with them because why? Your children might be turning to idols. They might worship someone else. You're to worship me. You're my people. We're in relationship with one another. We're married together. So so don't don't commit adultery. Don't, Don't be unfaithful. Like, stay here. But they took that to say, oh, we're special. We can't be with them because they're over here. Like the Gentiles, they're they're dangerous. Like don't have any association with them. What God was saying is, no, 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 don't worship their idols. But the whole story of the Old Testament is about blessing the world. See here, religiosity elevates the rule. It takes this idea and says like, hmm, this is how it's supposed to be. We can't associate with them at all. We, we have to protect, and, and it's almost that just super laser focus on the rule. Jesus, in our text, is confronting the misunderstanding that has emerged. See, Jesus isn't wanting us to see people as the problem, but he wants us to get back to the heart of the way things are supposed to be. See, that's what he's going after. There's this quote in the oral tradition of of the Jews. It's called the Mishnah. So they had the law in the Old Testament. We've got that. And then there's the Mishnah. It's the explanation. It's the commentary and the extrapolation of the law. And I want to read you this quote here just to capture a little bit of the sense of what's happening here. He who occupies himself in the study of the law is deserving of the whole world. He is called friend, beloved of God, lover of God, lover of mankind. It clothes him with humility and reverence and fits him to become righteous, saintly and upright and faithful. It keeps him far from sin and brings him near to virtue. From him men enjoy counsel and sound knowledge, understanding and might. He who studies the law is deserving of the whole world. 
These are the good people. That's essentially what the tradition is saying. And it's almost like you can kind of feel, it's like, if you don't, then you don't get any of that. You miss out. Like, and this is the divide that has emerged. The study of the law, the study of the Torah, like this is good, like at its heart. But they're misapplying it. And that is what Jesus wants to go after. He is going after the misunderstanding. The purpose of Deuteronomy, the purpose of the Mishnah is not to say, don't associate with people, but rather to go after the heart of God. But they're missing it. They're missing that these people, these sinners, like, they're actually loved by God too. And so what Jesus wants us to see is that these ideas, these rules, they're not to be over people. People are over the rules. People are more important than the rules. And that's what he wants to point to. So he calls, and he calls Levi, and he has this dinner party. He's saying, like, I am a doctor who's come for the sick. I've come to heal. I've come to meet human need. People over rules. So let me ask you this question. With whom do we associate? Who are we connected to? Are we willing to connect with those who maybe are on the outside? Or do we stay focused on the inside? Those who are following the rules. Those who are like us. Those who fit the mold. Where do we spend our time, our focus? Is it more about the rules or is it about people? Where is our time spent? I just offer that as a way to get after this religiosity that might be in us. People are more important than the rules. This is the first thing that Jesus wants to connect with and correct. But he keeps going. So let's move on to the next scene Verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours, yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. Then Jesus kind of uses a couple of analogies or images here. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. You don't put a, a piece of cloth over something that's old. Rather, the, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Similarly, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. Both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So right here, we get another episode, another scene where, where these people are fasting. John's disciples, John the Baptist, they're fasting. The disciples of the Pharisees, they're fasting. But Jesus, his disciples aren't. And people are kind of noticing, like, hey, what, what's up with that? Now, what, what they were observing was this regular pattern. Oftentimes, the Pharisees would fast twice a week. We think it was probably like Monday and Thursday sort of thing. And so they're doing this twice a week. It was a known practice, a known thing. But people are looking at Jesus and his disciples and like, hey, they're not fasting. And why is that? This is a practice we're supposed to do, right? But Jesus, he's not doing that. 
Well, here, I want to go back. Where does this idea of fasting come from? Now, you see lots of examples in the Old Testament where people are fasting. God calls people to fast at different specific moments. But I want to highlight one in particular from the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, verse 29. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves. You must fast. And do not do any work, whether native-born or foreigner residing among you. This chapter is all about the Day of Atonement. It's the day that the high priest could go into all the way into the Holy of Holies in the temple and make atonement for the people. This happened once a year. This was the day that they were to fast. And this is the only day that they were to fast regularly. In the entire Old Testament, you see lots of individual examples, but this is the only one where they are called or commanded to fast regularly. And so what you see here is that the Pharisees, they're taking this idea of fasting, which is a good thing, and they're elevating it. They're elevating to say fasting. Oh, we need to do that more frequently. What you see is that they are now expanding what God has called people to do. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, let me put this in perspective for you. Fasting is a good thing. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But let's, let's get a good view here. What Jesus is doing is he is reframing the rules and traditions. You see, this was an extrapolation. They, they said, oh, we want to fast more, so this will be part of our practice. And Jesus is reframing it and saying, hang on a minute. What's the purpose here? Or what's the context in which this happens? You see, Jesus doesn't actually say much about like fasting as a practice, but he starts with this analogy like, Hey, it's like a wedding. You know, and if you're at a wedding, you're not fasting, which is true, by the way. The Pharisees, if they'd go to a wedding feast, which generally lasted about seven days, they wouldn't fast during that week. They would celebrate. They would participate in all that was happening. Jesus is coming in and saying, this, this time, it's like a wedding. I'm like a groom. You're not going to fast when the groom is here. And that's what he's saying. He's like, context matters here. And then he uses these two analogies of, of uh, a cloth that you're putting over an old garment and, and wineskins and old wine and all that kind of stuff. Like, he's saying, this is something new. What I'm doing, what's happening here is a new context. And what Jesus is essentially doing here is reframing the, the question, reframing the conversation to say that rules and traditions, they belong in their proper place. They belong in their proper place. They're meant to serve a particular purpose, and context matters. This fasting thing, it's a really good thing. Good job, way to go. It belongs in its proper place. For you to come and say, oh, no, no, we have to fast now. You know, it's like, Jesus, hang on. No, no, no. It serves a purpose. It belongs in its proper place. Like, right now, we're celebrating. Like, the ministry I'm doing is a different kind of thing. Like, we are moving. The kingdom is breaking in. Like, this is cause for celebration. We don't need to fast. That's not what's happening here. So, to pause on this, I just want to ask you this question. 
Are we willing to let go of something to follow Jesus more closely? Are we willing to let go of a practice or a way we've done something so that we can actually follow Jesus more closely? Have you ever had the thought, well, we've always done it this way? Ah, right there. This is the way we've always, this is just the way that it's supposed to be. Like, that is the place where I think Jesus wants to say, is this where it belongs? Is this the way that we're, we're supposed to operate? Like, right here? Is this it? I think what Jesus is, want to point, is wanting to point us to is that sometimes we get locked in. It's got to be this way. We get stuck to our box. And he's saying, sometimes that box gets in the way of me. Are you willing to let go of the box to follow me if I call you? Some of the things that, that might be helpful, and I appreciated this conversation we had in preaching team. Cody said the word wonder. I think the Pharisees, they were certain. They knew this is how it's supposed to be, and, and everything was within their grasp, and they lacked wonder. If we're so fixated on our thing, on this idea, on a rule, on a tradition, on a practice, and we're unwilling to let go, we lack wonder, curiosity, we lack humility. I think what Jesus is calling us to is to open our hands. Instead of close them around something, open our hands. Unlearn. Relearn from him. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to let go when Jesus asks us to? Do we have wonder? Do we have curiosity? Do we have humility? Pharisees, they were certain. They had it all figured out. They had their box. They knew how it was supposed to be. They were certain. Jesus is coming in and saying, let me open up your eyes a little bit. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to put rules and traditions in their proper place? They serve to meet a need. And actually, that's what we want to turn to next. So in our next scene, our next episode, we're going to get to a key practice, a key element of the Jewish life, Sabbath. So if you would, read with me, verse 23 and following. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and, his, and he, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God, he entered the temple, and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So also the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. So what we see here is that Jesus is engaging on a Sabbath question. They're walking along and it's the Sabbath. It's, it's the day where they're supposed to rest and the disciples are picking the heads of grain. They're eating from the fields. This was a no-no. This was viewed as work. 
Now, I want to kind of go back, and, and this one's probably familiar to you, so back to the Ten Commandments, back to Exodus. When God is speaking to his people, he gives them one of the commandments related to Sabbath. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now this, this is one of the commandments, one of the big ten, like, okay, we're to keep the Sabbath. We're to work six days and, and rest on the seventh. And, and the word Sabbath means ceasing. It's resting. But I have a question. What's that word work mean? What counts? If you fast forward several centuries, they've been wrestling with this question. What counts? What is work and what isn't? And they got to the place where they had so defined things that everybody kind of knew, like, yep, here's what counts and here's what doesn't. Like, you couldn't take a journey because that would be work. And so they defined a journey as less than 2,000 paces. You could walk up to 2,000 paces, but if you walk that far, now you're on a journey and you're working, you can't do that. Similarly, they could not pick heads of grain. You know, you, you can't pick and pluck, you can't harvest, that's work. It's against the Sabbath. So they're, they are working hard to define what is work. And I actually want to read one that's really important to us. A commentator highlights this, and it'll get to our next story in just a moment. But he references how the Mishnah, the oral tradition, defines healing and first aid and what all that looks like. So, first aid was deemed permissible to prevent an injury from worsening. Like, you could keep something from getting worse, like progressing to, like, life-threatening status. You could give first aid. You could bandage bleeds, you now things like that. First aid. But efforts towards a cure were regarded as work and must wait until the passing of Sabbath. So a withered hand, which is our next story, was obviously not life-threatening and therefore did not qualify as an exception to Sabbath. This is the kind of precision. You can give first aid, but to work towards a cure, nope, that's work. Can't do that. Do you see what's happening here? God gives the call, Sabbath, rest, take a day, be with me, don't work. Two, you can give first aid, but you can't cure something. You can take 1,999 paces, but you can't take 2,000. Like, they're getting so precise that, like, here's what it counts as work. And do you see the irony? They're working so hard to avoid work. And, like, that's what's happening here. And so when the Pharisees show up and they say, Jesus, like, what they're doing, they can't do that. That's breaking the Sabbath. It's working. They're going after this tradition, this law-keeping, this rule-keeping kind of practice. And Jesus does something different. He says, you remember David? Of course they do. They know this story. You remember when he started to flee from Saul? What did he do? Where did he go? He went to the temple. He went to the priest. He and his, command, his companions, they were hungry. They'd been traveling. And they're like, we need some food. What can you give us? Well, I don't have anything except the bread of consecration, the bread of presence, the bread that resides in the temple that is for God. And then when it's completed its process, then it's food for the priests and only the priests were to eat that. That comes from the book of Leviticus. What, what, 
we see here is, is Jesus is saying, I'm like David. I'm, I'm like him. And, and that, they would have picked up on that, like, oh, no, you're not. You're not like David. But he's saying, like, I'm like David. And, and what they did was they had a need. And they did something that violated the law. But notice the priest is the one who gave it to them. He willingly said, here, I'm sharing what belongs to me with you. And they look back at that story not as one of violation of law, but of God's provision for their king, for God's chosen one. They look back at that story and say, oh, look at how good God is, how faithful he is. And Jesus is saying, how is this any different? And he wants to tie that to Sabbath. He wants to say, yeah, you're not supposed to work, but what's the purpose of Sabbath? The Sabbath, the law, is meant to serve us. We don't serve the law. We were not created to maintain the law. We were not created because the law needed to be kept. We were created, and the law was given to us to help us be who we are. Jesus is saying the Sabbath... The Sabbath is something that is a gift to us. It's a way for us to rest and to be with God. It is not something that we are to fulfill and work a certain way. That's why he gets to the place where he's like, the Sabbath was not made for man, not for humanity. Like, we, we, we are not created to fulfill the purpose of Sabbath. Rather, it fulfills purpose for us. So Sabbath was created for us. So, Jesus is now helping us see that rules are meant to serve us. Rules, traditions, practices, they're meant to serve us. We're not meant for them. And so I'm curious, if you've had these moments where you feel the rules are burdening, you feel like it's work to keep the rules, like, okay, I got to work hard, I got to make sure I'm staying in the box and when you don't, you're like, oh, man, I failed and I, I, I'm falling short. We're serving the rules. We're serving the purpose of law rather than the law serving our purpose. What Jesus wants us to see, that rules are meant to serve us. So I just want to ask you this question. Are we serving the rules and making others do the same? Here's the box. Got to keep the box. Here are the rules. Here are the traditions. Here's how we do stuff. We have to do it like this. Do we burden people with that? That's what the Pharisees were doing. You can't pick heads of grain. You can't eat. You can't harvest. Like, no, 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 no. And they would neglect a need to serve the Sabbath. These guys were hungry. I mean, back to David, like, they were traveling, they had no food, they were running from Saul, they needed to eat. There was need. Are we not meeting human need to fulfill the law, to keep the rules? Jesus wants to come in and say, no, 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 the rules are meant to serve us. That's why Sabbath exists. It's for our benefit. That's why the law exists. It's for our flourishing. It's helping us be who we're supposed to be. What Jesus is showing us here is that sometimes we can cling to the rules, cling to the law, cling to tradition, so much so that we put it over human beings. 
and he's been building this attack on religiosity. People are more important than the rules. Rules belong in their proper place. They are meant to serve us. But this was paradigm breaking. Maybe it's paradigm breaking for you. Are you operating in such a way as like, I gotta, I gotta follow the rules or else? Or do you see the rules as a gift? As a charting of the course, the way we're supposed to be? Does it feel life-giving? Or does it feel like death? That's what Jesus wants to ultimately point to. So, We've seen this progression. He's been walking the Pharisees along to attack this religiosity. Well, now we get to our climactic moment. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Another time when Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, there was a man with a shriveled hand there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they're watching him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now imagine him. He's probably like, I did not want to be in the center of attention. I just went out. And Jesus is like, nope, come forward. Come here. He has him stand up. And then he turns to the Pharisees and he asks them, which is, a, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? What's the purpose of Sabbath? What's the the goal here of the rules? Is it to save life or to kill? Is it to do good or to do evil? And here they are. They remained silent. How does Jesus respond? He looks at their silence and what what happens? He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. It was as it should be, fully healed, fully whole, the way it was meant to be. Doing good, saving life. But the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might Kill Jesus. Which is better on the Sabbath? To do good, to save life, or to do evil, or, and to kill? The irony. We have to keep the Sabbath. We have to do all things. And what are they doing? They're plotting to kill Jesus. This is where their rule keeping took them. And they missed The point. You see, there's another Pharisee who would show up. His name is Paul, formerly called Saul. He was a Pharisee, and he was the best of the best, and he would do things as he's supposed to, and and he was a great law keeper. And what did he do? He pursued and killed the Jesus followers. He arrested them, he put them to death, and he went after them. And he later describes how he was the best of the best of the Pharisees, and he missed the point. I did it all as I was supposed to, and yet I missed the point. Jesus is showing us, showing the Pharisees, that our religiosity, 
our commitment exceedingly to the rules and to practices can get in the way of following him. But I want you to note something. There were a couple of things that Jesus says in here that are really important that actually help us understand and couch this. I want to go back to verse 20 in chapter 2 and then highlight a couple of ones that we just read. These are a couple of things that Jesus says. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken. I don't know how many weddings you've been to where the, bri- the, the groom had to leave, like he had to be taken away, and it's like, okay, well, you know, like we're going to keep going without him. Like that doesn't feel right. Like that's not the way a wedding works, right? Yet Jesus inserts this here. Why? Because he's going to ask this question. Is it better to save life or to kill? And who's going to kill him? The religious leaders. See, Jesus already knows where this is going. He knows that he's going to go to a cross. He knows that he is going to have to die, that he is going to be killed. He is the bridegroom who will be taken away. He knows what's coming. And he is willing to lay his life down. And it's for a purpose. Jesus is going to lay down his life to kill our religiosity. He wants to put that to death and open up our hearts to soften us to the way God wants us to be, to be like him, to be how he is, to to, to learn how he wants to operate. That is what Jesus is coming to do. He's killing our religiosity. He's helping us not to miss the point. And so what we see here is that Jesus is going to die. He's going to be killed for our sake. To transform us, to change us, to be how he wants us to be. And so the call, I think of this text of what Jesus is saying to us is this. Continue to surrender your religiosity to Jesus. Continue to unlearn, to let go of the things sometimes that we want to hold on to. You see, Jesus, he wants us to operate the way that he is. We've been using this image throughout this series of a triangle, and so hopefully this will look familiar to you. But we're learning how do we be like him? How do we disciple like him? And a lot of times we live at the top, right? The word. We know the right things, like the right teachings, the right right kinds of things. And then the works. We want to do the right things. And oftentimes we just try to live there. We know the right things, so we just be able to do it. But Jesus is showing us no. You can know all the right things. You can know what you're supposed to do. But that doesn't mean you're doing it the way you're meant to. That's the Pharisees. You see, they're operating in a way. They're operating in the way of rule-keeping, earning their standing, earning the way that they're supposed to be like, we know the rules, so we're going to do it, and we're going to rely on my own strength, self-sufficiency. I can do it. And Jesus wants to come in and say, that is not the way. The way is love. It's my love for you. It's your love for me, and it's your trust in me. It is acknowledging in our hearts the desire that we want to cling, we want to hold on, we want to work it ourselves so that we can earn it. And he wants to say, you are to surrender and let go. 
allow the rules to serve you, not to be the mechanism by which you earn your standing. No, no, no. Let me chart the course for you. Let me teach you how to love. Let me be with you. And let me show you the way that I am. This is what Jesus wants us to see. Our religiosity, our clinging to the rules, doing traditions and practices a certain way and operating in a box is not the way. He wants us to unlearn that. And so as disciples, as followers of Jesus, it is easy for us to slip back into this. The Pharisees, they were the ones who were doing it. Like they consumed their lives with it. We can do the same thing, right? We can go to church. We can go to Bible study. We can join a life group. We can serve. Like we can do all the right things. But what's our heart? What's our motivation? Why are we doing the good things? Is it because we think it'll earn standing for us? Is it because by keeping the rules, we're doing what's expected of us? Or is it out of gratitude? Is it out of love? Jesus wants to help us operate out of trust and grace. This is what he came to do. So I want to ask you this question. Maybe to kind of summarize all the ones that we've been looking at. Where are you stubborn? Where are you stubborn? Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he was angry and distressed at their stubborn hearts. They were looking at him and just like this. Because it was about the rules. It's about the way things are supposed to be. They were certain. They knew the right course. And Jesus is like, no. That stubbornness is getting in the way. So where are you stubborn? Where are you clinging to the rules? Where are you clinging to your traditions? Where are you clinging to your practices? It's got to be like this. Where is Jesus saying, that's where I want to work? Right there. Where there's stubbornness, where there's resistance. Yeah, that is where I want to be. Because I think right there is where he wants to put curiosity and wonder, humility, trust. That's what Jesus wants us to operate in. So where are you stubborn? Where are you resistant? Where are you saying, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it's supposed to be. How can you begin to unlearn our old patterns and relearn the way of Jesus? What does that look like for you? I trust and pray that the Lord is surfacing something for you. Something's coming to mind. You have a picture like, yeah, that's probably it. Excellent. That is where he wants to work. And if you're not seeing anything, you're not sensing, like, okay, this is maybe what it is. If you're like, I'm not sure, he'll show you. Start having conversations with people. And just notice where does that resistance come from and begin to ask the question with Jesus, why? Why is that there? Where is that coming from? Pay attention to your stubbornness. Big idea for today. Continue to surrender your religiosity to Jesus. This is where he wants to work, especially for those of us who've been in church for a long time. We're used to all this stuff. It's familiar. He wants to come in and say, Let me pop your bubble just a little bit. Let me open you up into ways that maybe you aren't yet open. 
Where are you resisting? Where are you stubborn? I want to work right there. And even for those of us who don't go to church, it's not kind of our thing. We're not really sure what we think about Jesus. We still have this in us, don't we? We have our boxes. We cling to whatever set of rules we decide. He wants to meet us in that. Continue to surrender your religiosity to Jesus.